0: This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club, the world's first photo book of the month club. Each month, Charcoal sends you a new book that's been selected by one of their excellent curators. I'm always looking to discover new work, and it's a real treat getting a book in the mail every month you may not have picked up by yourself. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com, and they'll give you any book of your choice from their shop free when you use the code MAGICHOUR. That's charcoalbookclub.com, and use the code MAGICHOUR to claim your free book.
1: Self-conscious stage uh, fright or uh, this concern about the appearance of the one who's making it. Oh, this is a fine one. I never saw that before.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. The bones are, they're so
1: different. They show such a, they're not like anybody else.
2: Was off my hands and my face now. Oh.
0: I'm Jordan Weitzman and you're listening to Magic Hour. We've got a pretty special show for you today. A conversation that happened 46 years ago. In 1972... A 30-year-old Danny Lyon got in a plane and flew to Chicago with a Nagra tape recorder to go interview Hugh Edwards. Edwards rarely gave interviews, and Lyon wanted to get both his life story and a sense of his character on tape. Hugh Edwards was one of the most influential curators in photography of the 20th century that you may never have heard of. Edwards started working at the Art Institute of Chicago in 1927. From 1959 to 1970, he was Associate Curator of Prints and Drawings, and in that role, he was in charge of the museum's photography department. He gave Robert Frank, Dwayne Michaels, and Danny Lyon their first solo shows, and was an early champion of many young photographers who'd go on to become some of our greats. Ing Morath, Bruce Davidson, Maria Casindas. At the time, if you were a serious photographer, there were really only two shows in town, MoMA, New York, and the Art Institute in Chicago. John Sarkowski reigned supreme at the Museum of Modern Art, and largely due to his outgoing, gregarious personality, has become etched in stone as the curator in photography from that era. But then there was Edwards, a shy man who didn't write much and disliked publicity. They conducted the interview at Edwards' Hyde Park apartment over four days. The following conversation is an edited version of that tape. Edwards was smoking Parliament cigarettes and his crutches were by his side on the couch. In the full recording, they talk over the music playing Full Blast for about 10 minutes until Edwards gets a little philosophical.
1: That last novel here okay, as well, we can stop this now. One time there was a girl who, when I was playing the Bacchanini Variations, the Brahms, uh, and somebody knocked on the door and I went and she said I like that music very much it's Brahms isn't it but she said it's driving me mad (coughs) she said I'll have to jump out of the window if you don't stop so what could you do and then she came again and the second time I told her I said well it will be just as painful for me to stop it as it is for you to have to hear it So then she went away. She never came back? No, she moved. She moved. um, I think she was in there first, and then she moved farther back. And she said, I can hear that all the way to the back. And I said, well, a stranger or the only person who was disturbed by it, you know. Well, it is awful to have to listen to other people's music. (laughs) Or other people's anything. Is that running? The tape recorder? Yes. <laughs> it's so. Uh, I don't know. Even when they're silent, they don't feel like that. It doesn't feel like
2: that. Uh, it's even in here. How did you get interested in photography? Were you yeah. always interested? In it? I mean, as a boy. And, uh, well,
1: photographs always... were the first pictures I ever saw. I mean, uh, I certainly didn't come to know pictures through. Uh, painting and drawing, the only kind of painting I knew was China painting, which my aunt taught in the town. Everybody, every lady took uh, China painting, you know. Um, The first photographs that I liked uh, very much, I never, I'm always glad that I never thought of them as photographs or anything, but what they represented. And, um, but the first ones were, a set of the old review of reviews, uh, photographic history of the Civil War, you know, in ten volumes, these blue cloth things.
2: Where'd you see them? I mean, was that in, in the, the library, library in, 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 uh, in Paducah? Did that woman show them to you, or no, did you no, just I found find them myself?
1: Because I the stats were right behind the charging desk, and uh, you were allowed to go back there, and, and they were all mixed up, and so uh. I uh, One summer, I gave myself the job of straightening up those stacks, and it was the finest small library collection I've ever known, and uh, uh, brownie camera, of course, came into everybody's lives. And uh, I made a lot of pictures then of course you had to take some to be developed and uh, there were very, there were, though every, always in every town there was some dedicated person who was trying to make an art out of photography and uh, 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 it was something certainly above the China painting art at the time and uh, uh, you made pictures just as sort of a part of your life, I mean uh, It was just like going to the movies in those days. I mean, people didn't go to the movies, and now when people go to to see moving pictures, they go in the same way they used to go to hear string quartet concerts and lectures and that kind of thing. It's become such a cultural obligation to go to a moving picture. And of course, when things get to this stage, they may be better technically, and they may be conceived as a whole better, but, Certainly, the great vitality is lost. But nowadays, there's all that trying to make snapshots. You know, people who uh, attend uh, schools and classes in photography and that sort of thing. Trying to make the picture look like a snapshot. Well, this is uh, one of the deadest uh, forms of sophistication because nobody who gets to that stage could ever make a snapshot. I mean, they forget that- uh, Yeah, I know, I can't. I mean, uh, I, mean I, I
2: couldn't- uh, You
1: often tell them that every uh, every photograph is fundamentally a snapshot. I mean, and the word snapshot, of course, is almost as old as the word photography. I think it was Sir John Herschel who uh, coined that along with the rest.
2: Yeah, what does it mean? mean why why did what was that just like a photograph taken very quickly or something yes
1: it snaps and it's
2: shot i know when i like like i like the photographs that that tattoo artist made which were all polaroids you know and i would i would like to publish them they're fantastic photographs but I, I couldn't make one of those things if my life depended on it. I mean, even if I if I really tr- tried to, you know. My Polaroids. Well, he used to just take these vertical color Polaroid pictures of these tattooed girls, you know, and I'm trying to... Oh, they are to, still in existence. Oh, yeah. Who, who came to Chicago? Did you come to Chicago first before I you...
1: I came here to study music. I did not... Uh, I was always very fond, uh, of course, uh, naturally of music, but, uh, and my grandmother uh, used to take in boarders and uh, we got theatrical boarders who would come to the theater uh, to play in the stock company every winter. And uh, in this way, I got great passion for uh, theater. I went a great deal because we had a theater in our town And uh, being on the way to Louisville, of course, we had all kinds of uh, uh, great actors and people came, at least for one night, like the Barry Barrymores, Richard Mansfield even, and uh, uh, all this kind of people. And they came to my uncle's ice cream parlor after the show, and they were sort of uh, looked at politely by everybody. And, uh, This gave me such a great passion for the theater and then I went to the moving pictures every day. I was given a nickel to go to the moving pictures every afternoon. The program was only about 45 minutes at the longest. They changed every day? And they changed, uh, I think they changed every day, yes. I saw all those uh, old early Griffith things and uh, oh, many things, like the famous Cabiria, for which uh, Danunzio had written a scenario, and, and, uh, well, you just saw everything. And of course, they were silent. It didn't make any difference what country they came from. They certainly didn't have to put titles on them, which uh, nowadays uh, uh, you've only half seen a foreign motion picture that you see with titles. Did you come The up whole then? movement of the thing, of course, is disturbed by these Had, things.
2: You came up after, then you finished with high school? Is that when you came to...?
1: Well, I finished uh, in high school. I was working in the public library for this time and I stayed there for six years before I came away, I think. Because I was working there when
2: I was in school. But when I met, when I met you, though, uh, I mean, photography was a very special thing to you. I mean, you really gave me that feeling.
1: I, Somehow, to me, it always seemed to be the way to make pictures. Yeah,
2: yeah but I, I mean, when you. I met you in nineteen, when I met you in nineteen sixty-two or nineteen sixty-one, whenever that was, you know, you filled me with the feeling that photography was really this very great thing, you know, because you. I didn't, I mean, I directed all my ambitions to it, and I was a very ambitious yes, person. Yes, I, I think you have always made photographs as I think they should be made, but, uh, I don't... But you made me feel it was a very great thing, I mean, it was something, it was the first thing that I uh, encountered that, Maybe it was the first thing I encountered that I could do right, you know, but it became worthy of really a. It's become a lot so of intellectually work, you know.
1: captured now, and it's so uh, mixed up. It's still a great thing, and it's uh, probably greater even than it ever was, because, well, like all great things, the examples of them are certainly very rare, and they're never going to be. Uh, we can't have uh, uh, photographers by the carload, or. Uh, than then we could have painters. Of course, we live in an age of materialistic production and we want an overproduction of everything. If it doesn't overproduce, why the thing isn't functioning or something is kind of
2: I don't think... Most people don't realize that. I mean. But now they... they uh, someone asked me what contemporary photographers I like. I mean, I couldn't think of a single one. Yes, well, I think so. that
1: the great... Uh, A virtue of photography is that uh, its great examples can be completely anonymous. I don't mean the news photograph either, because the news photograph is certainly something very different. That's a special thing that, that uh, without the, the text, and the situation and the time, the contemporaneity and so forth, it cannot be a great picture on its own. You take the great news photographs of the past. Now, the photographs of the Civil War certainly were not what we think of as news uh, photographs. They were not instantaneous capturings of any uh, detail of an event or anything. They were usually made after the, the event. And uh, they were carefully composed and uh, carefully thought out. Roger Fenton's uh, Crimean War photographs, of course, were made before the battle, but they somehow, you feel that the whole event is approaching in them, I think, whereas the American Civil War photographs are classic, almost marbleized uh, uh, renditions or tributes to an event. The best thing we come to capturing an actual event, I think, is in-sport photography. And why we have all this clamor about photography as an art, and wanting to create a dictatorship and dictate rules, what, uh, what makes the photograph. It's almost just getting right back to the camera club uh, ethics. But anything can be a good thing even a camera club for
2: all that they make of photography now, I mean, mean, well, it's beginning to become an art. They sell the prints for more and everything. But uh, there's no one who seems able to say anything about them that makes any sense at all, you know. I guess that's because, unlike you, they never talk about the... They're not capable of really talking about what the photograph is of, you know. It doesn't seem to concern most of them. Well, of course,
1: young people are so fascinated by the thing as a technique. I mean, anything, any technique or uh, what we call a a technological method of any kind fascinates people because they feel they can master it. People, it's quite different than the idea that people want to be uh, the victims of techniques or that they will be, but the charm of techniques is that people feel that they can master them. And any technique is just a complicated way of doing something very simple and doing it well. But young people, of course, are always fascinated by the technique, first by the cameras themselves, by the attributes of the whole thing. And they want, uh, this is only natural. And that's, uh, of course, uh, uh, certainly technique generally in the last uh, 15 years has improved. So it used to be that a certain kind of picture that was taken, say, of, uh, well, what we call casual pictures, perhaps, why uh, um, you didn't consider the technique or you didn't discount the thing because of the technique or the excellence of it because it was such a miracle that that thing was made but i think in the uh uh last uh oh 20 years or so it's just like the technique and music and in musical has improved so there was nothing like it in the past Nobody even stuck to the notes.
2: Were you doing the shows, in, when you show Frank, you were doing photography shows at the audience? Oh, yes. When did Pollock uh, stop?
1: Well, uh, Mr. Uh, well, Pollock uh, uh, was the director of publicity there, just as I was the associate curator of prints and drawings. and this job um uh well mr rich the uh former director uh, was very um uh interested in motion pictures and photography way back i think before most museums began considering it part, as part of their programs but anyhow people were becoming conscious of photographers like margaret burke white and and then later Cartier-Bresson and and all these people and um they weren't bothering so much about it as an art form as they use that awful expression now and uh, which means they're trying to reduce it to uh, the terminology of another art which it uh, is very far from of course the only art is an art which does something which no other art can do like the motion picture for instance it is an art of course i think most people admit that yet they still whipple about photography, and they look look at photography and think of it in the terminology of other arts. Of course, I don't care whether it's an art or not. So uh, Peter Pollock started his exhibitions in 1951, and they continued until 1957 when he left, and they had a great effect. I mean, they made a lot of... Uh, The great uh, point in having photography in a museum is to show it with other things so that people can realize what its differences and what its superiorities are and also what its uh, shortcomings are. Very few photographers ever talk about the limitations of photography. (coughs) And they think they're extending uh, extending the medium by making it look like some other art. And uh, well, I, pictorially, there's nothing it can't do. I, That's it been known ever since it
2: appeared. I uh, started to make films. I, I think then it affected my pictures because I wanted to put so much more into the pictures. Uh, I think that's maybe yes. why they've changed now I have this I just want to put everything in the picture you know I mean everything that's going on around and and the weather of and the the everything, you know? is
1: the ocean picture is the great extension of photography and it took place naturally no artist got busy and tried to do something that I'm going to do something that'll uh, extend uh, the photographic medium this took place and uh, Uh, it was only natural to make the pictures want to make the pictures move well of course that creates another kind of art which has is really something entirely different than still photograph because the motion picture is a time art like literature music and uh, it takes a certain it's a progression in time from one thing straight through another and it has great advantages so that I don't think it should ever come in conflict with photography and the discovery of it that so many photographers made and they all a few years ago they were all giving up photography and of course it's too bad that the two things can't be thought of as two related but very different things and uh, the motion picture of course uh, well The trouble with most modern, uh, uh, whatever they call them, experimental films they did uh, several years ago, is that they don't move. And the first requirement of a motion picture is that it move. I mean, uh, it's a very difficult thing. It's it's related to musical composition. I mean, the symphony uh, or uh, sonata Uh, all the parts must move and uh, the whole thing must move and there's nothing more gratifying also the the enjoyment of the sequence of images I don't mean the motion picture sequence as it uh, is spoken of, but but just the sequence of various pictures and their relationship um where we cannot see them uh uh as on a wall. It also gives one a great sense of what still photographs can be when they are arranged uh, with a concern for sequence. And, uh, of course, I think a great still photograph can suggest movement without any kind of... uh, Uh, panning or any of those things that they try to do it with. Uh, For instance, Robert Rieger, I think, uh, because he does have such a fine sense of of painting and the background of that sort of thing, which has, um, I think it was Pierre Boss, the uh, French uh, scenario writer, said that the whole problem of art is to suggest motion and uh, a a portrait a painted portrait can do this just as well in a way as a motion picture a good photograph always suggests some kind of life or some kind of motion what goes before that instant in which it's caught and what is going to follow
2: it seems like some of these stills not seems like each picture is it's almost like an entire movie or an entire little movie you know?
1: well I mean, because it suggests a past and a future that is immediate and that gets back to the Schopenhauer idea of course that the only reality is the present instant and we as human beings the only thing we can capture is with is with is with the camera and that has many inhibitions too the motion picture of course the disadvantage there is it's such an inaccessible thing the steel photographs bad enough but at least we can there is a possibility of having something like that and being able to look at it again the way but people don't like to look at anything again anymore they don't like to hear anything again young people you say well I want to play this record well they say oh I've already heard it and it's done for
2: do you have any idea why Walker Evans uh, became a photographer became at Walker Evans out of yeah. the blue I mean it, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't that way, but
1: it's very strange that whole thing didn't begin to develop until about 1959. This great uh, enshrining of Walker Evans is uh, some kind. It didn't. I remember when I went to Eastman House that uh, first year, we had exhibitions, and, and the uh, um, I worked there for a whole year without a vacation until Mr. Joachim came and then of course when he came there you see he wanted me to do photographic shows. The idea was to give me another title and then uh, um, uh, their idea the budget was so small and uh, their idea was to have two shows a year. Well when people heard all over the country somehow it got out that the Art Institute was going to start photographic shows of course box shows have been very popular and uh, uh, that um, and the Art Institute I think is the most beloved museum in the country that is by the average people the main idea was to try and get people to to see what uh, the life around them was like and that is why I like that kind of photography and I remember the Robert Frank show. Well, we, of course, were the first ones, I'm proud to say, that ever had one. And uh, that is a one-man thing. And uh, it was very surprising how people would come all the way to the print room, and it was quite a distance. And thank you for having that exhibition. Whereas the photographic uh, people here were horrified at many things about this thing but I remember the days when they called the Walker Evans pictures just old snapshots they're nothing but old snapshots and uh, I guess that's because these things look like photographs in both cases I like photographs I mean I like them better really than any other kind of picture and I certainly like other kinds, but they seem to be the old thing and I certainly like photographs that look like photographs more than any other kind of photograph. And uh, the very fact that anybody can do it really should make everybody it's something very special, <laughs> and uh, they. Uh, well, isn't that what you meant when you
2: call it anonymous? I mean,
1: well, one of I, mean, I think one of the great wonders I mean, about anyone, photography is anyone
2: could be holding the camera, uh, and I mean it's,
1: yes, it's and of course that there, is what makes people uh, degrade it. So and say, oh well, uh, uh, it's just an accident when the thing is good. Well now, we know that isn't true. I mean, there are certain people that have a certain consistency uh, and a certain character, but also there are people who can take just ordinary pictures and suddenly will take what one feels is a great picture, or I do. But you see, the educated photographic connoisseur um, has built up an artificial kind of discrimination and they won't admit that sort of thing. They'll just sort of chuckle about it, maybe. But they cannot see that all good things are related, no matter what, what uh, caste they come from. That's what I think is so wonderful about the French, is that they, do a Frenchman, a good, uh, a good piece of meat can be just as poetic, just as wonderful as a Mozart quartet yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. And,
2: uh, I'd like to, you know, like everything. Now I kept think thinking I, uh, I don't know what I thought, but I know I always thought of. I would, I, my life would be, and though I'd be dead at 30 or something, but uh, everything was in a rush, and, and then hmm. having a baby, I, I just feel the opposite now. It seems like there's a, a unlimited amount of time, you know, I mean. Well that's It's I the way your
1: life to feel when it gets shorter.
2: Yeah, well maybe, but now I see all these things that I, I want to photograph, like I've never really photographed the South the way I could or the way I'd like to. I love it. So i love oh, all of that, yeah, you know. No, I am uh, a much better photographer now than I than I ever was in the time I was yes of course there.
1: then you were and, influenced by uh, outside ideas and things more.
2: Well, I just wasn't as good. That's all. I mean, I, I look at my contact sheets, and I just see how i bit of a little bit
1: of there is an english translation of that these of that Inesco is written about uh, uh, writing and things, Oh, in the American edition they don't print the best essay because it was added to a later French edition, uh, but about this thing about ideologies. Uh, <laughs> being, you see now there were certainly there were ideologies that influenced Walker Evans but I don't think they influenced him as much as he says they did now. As now you kind says, of make
2: up ideologies to have something to say or something but I mean I think you're right I don't think you really know why. You,
1: well why I you know, know you, said, I know you said out there uh, at the university else. that yeah. uh, you didn't want things to change that you yeah. uh, because you knew they would change of course and this change is inevitable but this uh this frenzy about change and this which is nothing but destruction, and it's the great American disease. Stockfield talked about that—that that this would be the thing that would be.
2: All these neighborhoods I photograph—I mean, I—I I mean, if I'm trying to justify it or get money, I mean they're being they are being just oh this I, just know, I know. But day, you know, if the I
1: picture mean. is good it will outlive the ideology I mean there are many great things that have come out, mm. have, uh, used ideologies but if the thing is really good as Ian Esco says the work of art will always endure longer than any ideology which has nothing to do with it Of course, your things, I think, uh, well, they they do what a lot of great motion pictures do. I mean, uh, a director like Chabrol, his things are certainly grounded in realism, but they're not what we call realistic. I mean, he doesn't change anything. In that last one, Le Boucher, the, the last one to be shown here, he, You know, this has the appearance of perfect realism, but it also has a quality of very poetic kind of beauty about it that you know if you had been there when that was made, it would not have looked like that. Now that's the same way with that. You have elevated that, you have remained true to what it is and true to its reality. But it's something more than realism. This thing. I
2: only mean that all these pictures of yours, these
1: later, these later ones are bringing out a much, much broader and uh, a much more distant kind of uh, uh, conjuring up of uh, what can't be explained or. What they used to call the beautiful than anything you else you've done you have never uh, one thing i always liked about uh, your pictures were i like beautiful people and the pictures the people in all your pictures are beautiful no matter um, um, what condition they're in or what they are or what they have passed through they're not pretty, certainly, but I mean, your people are always beautiful because you you do have a, uh, a respect for them and a realization of what they might be, too, that you get into that present person. That certainly shows that prison book. Yeah, I know and that's made, what those people, those people that, who could not understand it, uh, missed the whole thing. And, of course, if they did not appreciate it, I don't envy them.
2: You use the term uh, but, re- realism, or well, you use a uh, realistic, many years ago, but it always stuck in my mind. until it was a better now of now using the I don't feel the there is
1: such a thing as, as oh. realism. Uh, who was it, I think, uh, Schopenhauer, said that there is no reality but the present instant. And that is something we can't realize.
2: Well, I've never tried to realize it, but uh, uh, you can Of course, uh, uh, something
1: that is based in reality. And that... uh, uh, You see, the French... uh, 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 writers are the ones who have always uh, um, used uh, reality as the substance of all their art. The French writers. The French writers, the French painters, French everything, because the whole essence of uh, of French uh, culture, I suppose you have to call it, is, uh, is economy. French literature is an art of economy. So that it means that the material that is used is, is the commonplace. Now we have uh, young, hundreds now of young photographers, say um, 15 years ago we had everybody uh, making photographs of rocks and grass and, and all these things. Well, there should be no criticism of this because anything can be good. And there are certain masters of that I mean there's Stevens and there's Eric Callahan and people like this. but um, to imitate the masters is always uh, a very suspicious thing I mean there's no reason why there shouldn't be influences and uh, influences should not be uh, uh, criticized because if we come to it, we, it's probably, uh, where does originality exist? I mean, in anything. Gide said everything could be reduced to a few Greek stories. And um, so that uh, this uh, problem of realism, uh, what I can understand is why there has to be any kind of snobbery. In anything. And yet most people today um, are not only social snobs, they're media snobs, cultural snobs, and and everything else because they're trying to create an identity out of things that are outside themselves. Then of course there is the so-called realistic social photograph and this is as bad as anything. because the French idea comes up again that, uh, I mean, that uh, uh, it is not for the artist to express himself. First of all, he should, or to express his emotions, he should provoke an emotion in somebody else. And this is what I think all great things do. Self-expression is a very um, temporary sort of thing, and then people who uh, who purvey ideas in pictures, uh, of course, are nothing any more than propagandists of one kind or another. Great picture is something that awakens something very a different reaction in each person who looks at it because not everybody's going to look at any picture be drawn to it but all is using the photograph or using any any form of expression as uh, uh to purvey ideologies to others well we all know why. we've all lost faith in all ideologies i think now except the very young who want to have adventures with them or something uh, but uh, the, the picture that creates an individual response is, is a great picture, no matter who made it. And anybody might make it. Of course, there are so many people who feel that everything in photography is an accident. Well, of course, uh, anyone who cares for photography knows this is not true. The miracle of photography is that the very thing which makes it great is something that nobody can explain, which is true of any kind of art or any kind of manifestation. Well, what I was saying about ideologies with photographs or with pictures or with anything, the ideology, as Ionesco has uh, explained so well, is something that is foreign to the work itself. It's something that is on the outside. Now, when we look at the Civil War photographs, um, they were made to uh, show the horrors of war, perhaps. They didn't do it very completely because people were too squeamish to uh, look at it in a picture. That is, in a picture that they felt was absolutely true because this was a photograph and And the photograph can never lie well of course we know that the photograph is very treacherous in its renditions of the truth and uh, it shows us that reality is a changing thing almost like light it never stays the same nor does the truth it's always something elusive but ideologies Are fixed systems of things. They're like philosophical systems. They're, they're almost, uh, well, in in many ways they're, they are aesthetic creations in their own way and uh, they are not, uh, that's why they never work in life because life really, uh, the longer one lives, the more aimless it seems to be. And uh, perhaps uh, Rabelais was the one who was right, who believed in a phil- philosophy of aimlessness.
2: Well, when I, uh,
1: the only reason for living is to be alive, according to Montaigne,
2: who was uh, uh, a little later than Rabelais. When I, I photograph it, I always photograph, uh, well, like the older neighborhoods, you know, in, in the United States. and. It just seems like now uh, there are many less of those neighborhoods left than even ten years ago. It seems to me that as I travel around the country, as, you know, modern America becomes... Yes, it's but It's like nothing. they've rebuilt the whole country. <laughs> Eventually, they'll have done it completely, or oh, well, they'll do it completely, but... Jacques Galou uh, has said it, uh, and I think this is quite likely
1: more than anything. Nothing can ever become completely general there's always something to interrupt a few years ago we were all well quite a number of years ago we were all worried about the effect the machine has on the human being the human being is going to be just obliterated going converted into a, a kind of shadow of the machine and then it became uh, the electronic era and uh, we know a few years ago how everybody uh, was listening to McLuhan and uh, and uh, well, uh, to Jacques Ellul was much more profound than Whittier. and wittier, uh, and um, this was a great concern. Suddenly, so, I mean, we don't seem to hear much about that anymore. No ideology fits everything.
2: Uh, I can't photograph. I mean, your
1: photographs, I. Uh, uh, often wonder if you do know why you are taking them, because I think you're impelled well, by some kind of feeling. Well, I don't and of have to use words like feelings yeah. and sentiments and so forth nowadays is strictly forbidden. Well, I, I have I, feelings I, uh, is strictly. Different.
2: I can't have any feelings in the modern area. I, I just if you don't you have, have any I
1: feeling. Uh, if you express any feeling in anything, you're called a sentimentalist. Mm-hmm. Now, what there is more wrong about a sentimentalist? Of course, I am not talking about the uh, the sentimentalist of the new religious calendars and this kind of thing, which use Rod McEwen and. Uh, poems and that sort of thing as their mottos but uh, that sort of thing the motives of that of course are very bad because they're they're strictly commercial I mean nearly everything nowadays is done with the idea of making money we all have to live and uh, uh, even then it's pretty impossible but they if you uh, it's much safer in uh, in your work not to have feelings. People are very afraid of them now.
2: Well, I can't work if I don't feel something. I mean, well, of a total course, and it, failure. Shows, it shows in
1: your work. While you, uh, and, uh, and it also shows that this thing is a very... Uh, uh, well, it certainly is a kind of redemption of everything. I don't think anything I ever saw of yours, I would certainly never call it sentimental. Well, yeah. I was just trying to understand. And if it's sentimental, if your things are sentimental, why sentimentality is all right, as far as I'm concerned. I can't express my feelings about anything. Uh, my whole uh, response to any kind of work of art or any excitement over it is that it's expressed something that I could never express myself. Often it has caused me to feel something that I could never have felt without that. I I mean, this was true in reading Proust, which was certainly the greatest uh, aesthetic experience I ever had. But, um, and everything else seems to be uh, related to that. But, any work of expression is one that expresses something that i wanted to express myself i'm very glad that i have no talents and can do nothing uh, because i think we need more to appreciate things than to imitate them i, I find i think that's a great uh, uh fault in many young photographers is um, They're interested in somebody else's work, if they're ever interested in it at all, as an idea, uh, to get ideas from it. And yet they're the first ones who always describe uh, any kind of influence when they can detect it in anyone. Influences are not bad, so long as they're not imitations. I mean it was Baudelaire, of course, who said that, you know, uh, his whole passion was a passion for pictures, and he meant by that uh, pictures and words and the image. And uh, of course, the first realization I had of a photograph, what the photograph was as a photograph, was in that book of Walker Evans that was published at Museum of Modern Art in 1939. And this was at a time when we were all very pro-American, and it was the time when you would think that the whole country would have gone into complete anarchy, because everybody was very poor. To have a job paying $75 a month was really something. And uh, I saw this book in an exhibition uh, which came to the Art Institute of the 50. 50- Best Designed Books of the Year, I think it was called. They had it every year uh, in different places and uh, uh, I saw this book in a glass case. It said American Walker Evans American Photographs and I thought this was a collection of American photographs of, well, Civil War, Reconstruction, whatever. And I ordered that book without knowing what it was and when it came, it was this book of photographs by one person of America, as we, we saw it then. And, of course, now people like to think these things were terrible indictments of, uh, of, of a society and way of living. But, of course, we were trying to accept those things. And uh, uh, that book uh, had a great effect on me. And uh, so, uh, Walker Evans, uh, there was a boy who was a student at the Art Institute named Jack Kinzer from Oklahoma, who was certainly what you think I uh, would think of as uh, an American of the 1930s. And uh, uh, so uh, we had started going around taking photographs. I mean, the literature then, Sherwood Anderson and... Uh, Thomas Wolfe and everything, uh, uh, incited you to, uh, uh, to this, uh, appreciation of America or looking at it. And, uh, we went around taking pictures and, uh, and when it came about later, uh, when I finally met Walker Evans, which I never really wanted to meet any, uh, arrived artists that I admired very much. I mean, Uh, so many people want to beat everybody but what what do you have to say to such a person who has said something to you that you never could have done and uh, but it was uh, uh, through uh, friends of mine from back in Tennessee who knew him uh, why I did come to know him he was in town here at one time and he called me up at the museum and and the day, uh, the next day I was to meet him and have lunch, and I did, and I was very, uh, uh I couldn't possibly imagine what this man who had created such a personal, uh, such an individual, uh, picture of things, uh, I couldn't possibly imagine what he would be like. So I really expected nothing in the person, which is always best. Of uh, course, then I found this, uh, uh, thoroughly American individual, which I think he has remained, and, and, uh, but one who had a sensitivity to, oh, all sorts of things, I mean, outside of America. And, uh, Uh, it happened that I had some of these pictures with me which had just come back from a uh, drugstore somewhere that we had taken in Kentucky and this uh, friend of mine from Oklahoma and I showed uh, he said what kind of place is Paducah I remember when I first uh, knew Duke Ellington he had made a record on Brunswick under the name of the jungle band called Paducah I always wondered what it had to do with the town I was in. And uh, uh, Ellington uh, said that he thought it was some kind of an Indian or an Aztec name. Well, it was supposed to be Indian, but it was a spurious Indian name at that. And uh, so he, um, uh, Walker Evans uh, said, what kind of place is Paducah? And I said, well, I wish you could see it because I said, your pictures certainly uh, have uh, somehow uh, immortalized it. And uh, so uh, I said, I have some pictures here. I certainly wasn't trying to get an exhibition or get into Fortune magazine or anything. Uh, And he looked at two and he gave them back and he said, it makes me so damn mad to see anything that anybody else has done that I should have done. And so that was the end of that. He was sent there by Fortune magazine about a year and a half later, and they did a big article on uh, that town, uh, which was published in Fortune with his pictures. He was laid up in the hotel with a sprained ankle, and uh, which is not mentioned, strange to say, in the excellent biography, bibliography in the uh, Museum of Modern Art book that came out at the time of his last exhibition. They mention every one of his uh, uh, Fortune magazine contributions but that. And it was very curious because Miss Frances Hamill here, who is a, uh, a book dealer uh, in the city, uh, her niece went down with a Fortune magazine crew uh, to do part of the journalistic job about the town. <coughs> But he really didn't get to see it very much, but he did everything else. Well, then, I suppose, well, of course, you saw photographs and photographs. We got all the avant-garde magazines every week, read them, and, and uh, usually we were looking for the literature in them. And I must say that uh, Walker Evans, when that book came out, it was appreciated by people who who were interested, uh, who were Uh, fond of America or who were trying to find themselves in America in in a way and they were not photographers was very true of the Robert Frank book later which was the third great uh, affair in my life and uh, that I discovered by accident too. It was the French edition of it in a bookstore in Greenwich Village. I bought the book and took it home largely for I think uh, uh, the very first superficial approach to it was the French text that was with it because there were a lot of quotations from writers oh all uh, ever since uh, well certainly uh, uh, the 18th century uh, and uh, on down uh, uh, French writers writing about America and uh, when I saw these pictures, I wondered if I stayed up all night in the hotel reading it, and I wondered who in the world this person was, Robert Frank. And the next time I went to the Museum of Modern Art, I mentioned it to Miss Mayer, and she said, oh, well, good heavens, he's right here. I was trying to find out where I was going to write to the publisher. I wondered if there was any way we could have an exhibition of those things in... Uh, because they were, the certainly, uh, to me, they meant another discovery of America. To other people, they mean many, many things, which is one reason for their greatness, I think. It's just like in this new book of his, those pictures are entirely transformed by the, the uh, juxtaposition to different, with different things. They become entirely different pictures. And that's one of the mysteries of photography, I think, is. Can't do that to paintings. And uh, then uh, after that, of course, after we started um, uh, exhibitions again at the Art Institute after Mr. Pollock had left, and in 1959 when we started again, why my life became a whole obsession and enthusiasm uh, about a photographs and i was amazed to find how many of course to me the whole idea of trying to give i uh, give a make a presentation of photography is almost a hopeless task because there are all kinds of ph- photography that uh, should be appreciated that's probably the trouble with the educated um, minority or the ones who are trying to create a minority in photography i think is is they want to make it something exclusive and restricted, so that one can have a kind of grasp of it. And uh, that's why I want to have shows like the one of Robert Rieger of the of professional football photographs. Of, well, oh, of all kinds of things that were shown there so that people all thought that I didn't have any taste. And taste is a very dangerous thing to have. It doesn't, I mean, it... Uh, it'll cut down your life terribly.
2: What years did you work there? I mean, what what was the year you began there? In the print department? At the Art Institute at all? Oh, well, I didn't go, I
1: went, I must have started about 1927 or something like that. I worked there on Sundays, just part-time. I was a music student. And then uh, I met Miss.
2: 1927. It sure seems like a long time ago. Doesn't if you'll pardon. Uh, <laughs> I know, but it. No, yeah, I, yeah, you know. better watch out. You I may know. violate the etiquette of
1: old age or something. Uh, no, I. Uh, I was a music student. I, I really had no talent, and and uh, then uh, of course soon the depression came, and. Uh, my father had come up here and uh, uh, he got very sick and my my parents both had to go back and that for the first time left me alone in my life because uh, you know when until I was 11 years old I couldn't even uh, get dressed they had to uh, and I uh, I had a great deal of pain and everything until I was about 13 years old and then it seemed I never took any interest in people until I got into high school but then, then everybody seemed to take any uh, pay attention to me then and so forth
2: and I what got What was that polio? It wasn't polio. Oh it was I something they, they call
1: know. it it was really a, a I guess you'd call it a bone infection unless you call it um at that time they called it White's Swelling, and then later they said it was a tubercular, which it probably was uh, thing, and I'd had it since I was eight months old. And but it stopped great, when
2: you were then thirteen. I mean, it, uh, it, it well, the pain close, stopped
1: pain. Uh, when I was about uh, uh, six years old. They took me to St. Louis to a surgeon because they realized that something would have to be done so I could go to school or something. And I was so frightened of people, uh, when we came back uh, from St. Louis, he really did nothing. He put it in a brace and, but they had to roll me around in a cart until I was about uh, six. And this was a terrible, I don't know how my family stood it because my father was working on the boats and and they were not really unionized at that time. I mean, and uh the salaries were so little and he was very critical of everything and everybody and we uh and, but we got along very well and uh i should have started and told all about my family at the beginning and the kind of yeah i i
2: wanted well, i wanted to uh maybe some here but you went very quickly over Maybe something. Actually, at first I thought uh, I was going to spend a week here and make a hundred tapes, and then what were you going to do with them? Well, I don't know what. I mean, uh, what do you do with <laughs> those things? You're, because you know, I don't want any say. kind of uh, memory
1: of myself mm-hmm. anywhere.
2: Well, in fact, I
1: don't like. I always thought when you got to this age that you spent all your time in remembering. But I don't care anything about remembering anything now, or. And as uh, they say that all happy memories are sad, why that uh, isn't why. It's like something alive, you know. The changes in temperature make it. Clear.
2: It's that always photograph a photograph or that chair.
1: It's that chair.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no
1: photograph would ever do that.
2: Uh, <clears throat> you think? Uh, well, you know, I I studied history at Chicago. That was I have a major. perfect era of somebody in New York that uh, Rudy
1: Jenner told me was going to publish my letters or something, I tell you, this nearly drove me to suicide. I, uh, this kind of a thing is a terrible thing too.
2: Who Isn't was it, me? just the letters they had received? They oh,
1: no, out? they were going, I guess, to make a systematic uh, canvassing or and, uh, and something. It's so Martin Saposi, you never heard of him, did you? they have been
2: kinder to kill you first.
1: Listen, you can never get killed if people are going to do things like that. And then it, he has a certain viewpoint about me. He, he's made up a complete fiction about what I am and what i uh, what I am when people don't see me, and all this sort of thing. It's frightening. What is this it? is more common now than ever before. I'm afraid to write a, a letter to anybody anymore. It's no good because they're all the ones I've written in the past. I don't know.
2: God knows what. Father Pro-
1: Prolip said this is one of the most awful practices: is saving letters, people saving letters. Mm. And still, it I is I, awful.
2: You
1: think so? It is awful for the other ones who read them, but uh, it's. I think it's rather awful to the one who wrote. And yet, I like to read all these letters. Think of all the letters the French people wrote uh that uh, they love to publish volumes of correspondence and read them and all this and uh of course letter writing has almost disappeared
2: god i see my i spend so much at the post office mailing letters
1: well, I wish I did. Well, that's because where we live. And I wish I did, but the post office is so hard to get to here. Mm-hmm. Now, at last, I, lately, they've opened one down here at 53rd. Well,
2: I, I used to think I was some things. kind of a historian because I took pictures, you know, like I was a contemporary historian. You know? I had studied history and learned all the stuff about, uh, you know, the ancient historians and who, uh, somebody who traveled around with Alexander, you know, or something. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, well, you talk about the past, you know, and I don't. You think that some of people who uh, it seemed like sometimes I thought, well, maybe I love the past. Uh, it's like you create, the, make everything into the past when you make photographs or something, you know. Of course, that's what I
1: said. That thing from Schopenhauer that there is
2: no reality
1: but the present instant, and we can't realize ever what it is. Until it becomes past. Schopenhauer never. never You wanna hear a little bit of this? Just to hear the voice? Oh, I hate your report. On this
2: machine it'll be
1: be better not. Probably magnifying. Well we'll see. Let's wait.
0: That was Danny Lyon's interview with Hugh Edwards from 1972 that they conducted in Chicago at Edwards' apartment. It was an honor and such a pleasure working on this interview, and I want to thank Danny Lyon for entrusting us with this recording that's been so important to him. You can read Danny's piece on Edwards on our website at magichourpodcast.org. You can also visit Danny's blog, bleakbeauty.com, to see some of Edwards' own photographs and some more of Lyon's writing on him. The Art Institute of Chicago also has a great dedicated page to him, where many of his letters are published along with documentation and ephemera from his exhibitions. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhaime. Hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for listening.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.